The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 78 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on the show are my own and not to my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sense of intelligence that I've been privileged to or resort to my current employment. And I would never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So before we get started, I want to remind our listeners, you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest interesting news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news Go to this cybersecurity hub at cshub.com. That's the cybersecurity hub at cshub.com. So, what a great show last week with a true American hero. It was former SEAL Team 6 member and current chief security officer of Onyx CTS, Marcus A. Capone, that was on the show with us last week to talk about the transformation, I guess, or in some cases, the lack thereof to conversion security models that integrate both logical and physical security teams under one management chain, one budget, and and under one strategy. So I think that there are advantages and disadvantages to every security model that we look at, right? I mean, we talk about this a lot because I think it's important. But I truly believe, and I know that there are other very senior people out there that don't, don't agree with me on this, but I really truly believe that there are models out there that will yield a more positive result than any other model that is possible in their environment, albeit, uh, you know, it's the optimal model. It's the optimal model to use in any one given organization. And I do believe that convergent models in general will yield an organization the greatest returns on their investment. And it was fascinating to hear someone who's really relied on convergent models in life and death situations, when it mattered the most, when it was important to have the most optimal model in place because people, people's lives were on the line. And to hear him talk about the obstacles, the organizational change in the private sector and the consequences of not having end-to-end optics when it comes to protecting your organization's assets. So if you missed last week's episode, Capone talked about some of his experiences as a SEAL Team 6 operator and what it takes to be successful both in the military and in business. And if the leadership skills exhibited in military service easily transfer to the private sector when veterans make a transition to these senior executive positions. So, you know, we talk about a lot of things. We talk, also spoke about SEAL Team 6 members, the, you know, training for cybersecurity events and how important cyber hygiene is. You know, we, we, talk, we gave examples about hygiene 
uh, in the training that the, the SEALs do and how that translates and transfers over into the cybersecurity space and the private sector and how accountability and support play into the team concept of cybersecurity as well. So you got all this and much, much more on last week's episode if you missed it. It's never too late to turn back the clock with internet radio, folks. You just go back to your favorite playback medium, find Task Force 7 Radio, and last week's episode should be right there at the top of your episode library. All right, so as we uh, move on to the show here, I mean, I want to give one more shout out for the, the March 2019 Encore episode of Task Force 7 Radio called The Cyber Conundrum, How Do We Fix Cybersecurity? So... This is one of our most listened to shows in TF7 radio history, and, and the theme of the show is why we need a cybersecurity moonshot to create new comprehensive strategies to improve information security in the digital age. So I think it was a fascinating out-of-the-box sort of commentary from one of the most powerful information security professionals in the media and entertainment industry. And if you haven't heard the show yet, it's near the top of your TF7 episode library. You don't have to go searching for it. That's why we do the Encore episodes to make it easy for you. So check it out, folks. That's the March 2019 Encore episode of Task Force 7 Radio called The Cyber Conundrum. How do we fix cybersecurity with the Chief Information Security Officer of Turner, Mr. Peter Cronus? Great guest. Can't wait to have him back. Well, if you're listening to us on live right now on Voice America, or maybe someone just sent you the link, to this episode. You might be wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 radio episodes on playback. Just go to the new TF7 radio site at tf7radio.com and hit the episode tab at the top of the homepage. You can find all the TF7 episodes right there at your fingertips. So you can also search our guest library, which is, I think at least, the, the most comprehensive and some, the most impressive list of some of the most prolific cybersecurity professionals in the world on this on the site right here. It's pretty impressive. Um, I was very happy to have all of them on. And of course, we have our news section at the top where you can check out the, the latest cybersecurity news and even news on Task Force 7 Radio. You can even write comments on the, on the shows and interact with other TF7 guests or listeners, I should say, on uh, what they think about the, the, the articles that are out there, some of the things that we talk about here on the show, and you know the different articles uh, and topics that we're uh, talking about on a regular basis. So it should be a lot of fun. So since we're on 11 different playback mediums now, and people usually have preferences on which ones they like, I know people are really particular about which playback medium they use, we made it easy for you to find all the playback mediums that Task Force 7 is on. So you just hit the subscribe button at the top of the uh, page, the home page up there to the right, and it'll take you right there. And most importantly, you can subscribe to our show right from the TF7 radio website, which is the best way to stay connected to the entire TF7 family. I, I think that's the best way to do it. You go to the TF7 radio site and you subscribe right there. This is the way that uh, you'll get all the TF7 radio updates, not only on the episodes, but on the extras and the encore episodes and, and it also Task Force 7 news and events we'll be putting out. We'll be pushing on a lot of things uh, from there. And you'll get information on our guests too, which, uh, which I think is pretty cool. So, and also any information on the upcoming TF7 network that we have, we'll also be uh, pushing out on that, on that site. So check us out, folks, at www.tf7radio.com to hear any of our episodes at your convenience 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, whatever you do, don't forget to subscribe. We love it when you subscribe. So we have a wonderful guest for you this evening. I'm really excited about tonight. The Chief Security Officer of Security Mentor, Mr. Dan Lorman, is going to be on the show with us this evening. 
and Dan is an internationally recognized cybersecurity leader. He's a technologist, and he's also an author. He has started his career over at the NSA, and he's served global organizations, both in the public and private sectors, in many different leadership positions. And we like people that have that, that diverse experience because I think they bring a lot to the table and they are able to talk to a much broader audience. And that's why we have a lot of people on the show who have served in both public and private sectors. So as the top Michigan government technology executive for about 17 years, Dan has won awards like the National CSO of the Year, like the Public Official of the Year, and a Computer World Premier 100 IT Leader of the Year. So he's very well known. Um, he's, he's, a lot of people follow him on social media. He's currently the Chief Security Officer and Chief Strategist as well at Security Mentor. He advises global and local corporations and governments on cybersecurity and technology infrastructure strategies and implementing cultural change in security organizations. He's been a keynote speaker at many different events around the world, and I'm really excited to have him on the show with us this evening. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Dan Lorman. Dan, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Thanks, George. It's great to be with you. It's really, really an honor to be on your show. So, Dan, you do some uh, cybersecurity predictions uh, for Government Technology Magazine. And at the beginning, you do this at the beginning of every year. It gets huge coverage. People love it. I think it's one of the, the, one of the biggest things that you do. How is it different than other things that you do and, and, to, and other predictions even? So tell us a little bit about how that works. Yeah, thanks. Uh, well, every year, I've been doing this for much, I've been working in the predictions world for over a decade, but every year in uh, December, I actually started a little bit earlier in November, I take a look at what all the different vendors are doing across the industry. So the Symantec, the FireEyes, the McAfee's, all the different vendors. And as and I basically, and you know, by the way, uh, for all of your listeners, those are great reports um, they put together, some of them are, you know, 30, 50 page reports that you'd pay big money for if you uh, paid a research company to have those. Well, I look at those and I, I basically uh, uh, categorize them, look at all the different predictions and I rank the reports. I literally go kind of this, you know, whatever year it is, so 2019, this last year going into 2019, what are the top 19 reports? Um, and I, I rank them by vendor. And, uh, and then I, I list them, you know, and then I put some honorable mentions, you know, beyond the 19 and, you know, literally lay them out um, in a way that you can consume them, very easy to link to different vendor, you know, predictions. And then I give awards and things about what are some of the most creative, what are some of the most common um, and the most likely and unlikely predictions that are out there. So I really kind of, you know, uh, summarize all the industry cybersecurity predictions for the coming year. Yeah, I think people love that kind of thing because this is such a fast-moving market, right? It's a fast-moving industry, and things change all the time. And being predictive is really important. I think it's no surprise to me why it gets a lot of interest. What were some of the biggest security predictions for 2019? Yeah, it's uh, you know, I'll start off by saying that you know when you look at predictions, there's a lot of them that are repeats almost year after year. You know, more ransomware, more breaches, more, more, more. You know, more of the same. You get a lot of that kind of a thing. So you hear a lot of, you know, there will be um, a critical infrastructure, uh, major vulnerability and, and, and uh, a number of different predictions around, you know, more data breaches in banks, more data breaches for large companies. So there's a lot of predictions around that. It's kind of the same that we've had for several years. Um, I like some of, the, some of the ones that, you know, really, if you look at, um, you know, most creative, I gave some, some award categories like 
beyond trust. Millennials will ruin everything, which is kind of funny. <laughs> you know, I, I think that's hilarious. That actually came from beyond trust. But the idea that there was, you know, with GDPR and privacy and, and all the different things, the California privacy laws, all the different things going into play in New York, you know, privacy laws that are coming into play, that, that a lot of the millennials don't really care about privacy. So they're just, you know, they're just kind of, you know, even with Facebook having privacy issues and a lot of the issues out there, millennials will just keep sharing stuff. So, um, you know, that's that was one level of, of predictions. Um, bring your own security to work, uh, malware bites. I found that was interesting one. You know, we talk about bring your own device, bring right. your own, um, now bring your own security. I mean, that, that'll be an interesting one to see whether that really happens or not. Uh, maybe a little bit, but I'm not so sure on that one. Most scary, uh, sky, cybersecurity criminals will compete for dominance in emerging IoT war of worms, which was, that was Trend Micro. I found that to be pretty interesting that, you know, almost like the, the 1930s in Chicago, we're going to start seeing more and more um, cyber criminals competing with each other. Nation states are already competing with each other. So, um a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of um, advice around vulnerabilities uh, that, you know, basically uh, more and more companies are, are saying the bad guys are staying ahead of the good guys. So more, you know, literally dozens, if not hundreds of, of vulnerabilities, some people even say thousands of vulnerabilities are being created every day. So it's just going to be, you know, continuing and actually growing. So it's funny, you, know, you mentioned criminal organizations, you know, competing. And when I, when, I, when, I, when, I, when I heard you say that, we had a previous episode when we were talking about them competing for a talent, legitimate talent, actually in, you know, Fortune 500 companies. Was there any of that in there? Or? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, you know, there's no doubt about it. There's a lot of talk, a lot of the prediction reports talk about, you know, people having kind of jobs on the side. And we've seen some of that in the news as well that, you know, some of the people that were getting awards and getting bug bounties were some of the same people that were actually, you know, um, profiting from some of the same information before they handed them in. So there have been some arrests uh, that you see some of that in the news um, where, you know, bottom line is that some of the hackers, you know, you know, we talk about white hat hackers, black hat, gray hat. Um, a lot of people don't like us using the name hacker to talk about criminals. You know, these are these are not hackers. These are criminals. Well, the bottom line is it's not always black and white. There's a lot of gray and there's been a lot of stories, a lot of coverage over people that were supposed good guys that were actually working on the side for, you know, black hat hackers. So, yeah, I think that's I think there's predictions of that. I think we've seen stories of that as well. So we uh, one quarter down. We just started the second quarter. Have any of these predictions already happened? Absolutely. Uh, several of them have. You know, of course, we've had more breaches. Um, you've seen recently, we just had the big announcement about, um, you know, uh, major, uh, you know, um, critical infrastructure being hacked. You know, we just had that big story of, uh, was it like $40 million that brought down that production, um, uh, you know, steel, steel works. But I mean, basically in Europe where you had, um, a major corporation that was hacked, I forgot the name now, I don't know if you remember what the name of that was. Um, I can I can look it up here real quick, but basically a major major breach, several major breaches from ransomware, where they're actually um, you know literally cost brought down uh, critical infrastructure and actually um, you know really cost you know tens of millions of dollars. So the answer is yes, we have seen a number of these already. We've seen um, some large ransomware hacks um, attacks, and um, so absolutely we've already seen some of this happen. 
So you're collecting all this information, which is, you know, really fascinating. What kind of contradictions or controversies exist between security vendors? So like, what, where, do you, where do you see that they have major disagreements about where we're going and what's going to happen? Or Yeah, good question, George. I, you know, it's funny. Um, some of this you can see actually in the, in the product lines of the companies. So the one that I like to talk about first is, is AI, artificial intelligence. You know, you look everywhere in the cyber industry and people are saying, you know, AI is going to take over, fill in the blank, really, not just cyber, right? It's going to take over, you know, robots, you know, running autonomous vehicles, all kinds of different things. Um, so you've got IBM and a number of companies saying AI is transforming, um, artificial intelligence is transforming cybersecurity. And, um, you, of course, they're, you know, the big push with Watson and a lot of commercials around that, even for the Super Bowl and things already. Um, other companies like Forcepoint saying, really, it's all overblown. Um, there's really no AI in 2019 helping cybersecurity at all, which is kind of interesting uh, when you think about that. Um, they're not saying that there isn't, you know, machine learning, that there isn't, you know, you can you have all this data you're trying to crunch in your security operations center and your SOC, and there's software that can help you crunch the numbers. They certainly believe that that's happening, so machine learning, but true AI, true artificial intelligence they say it's five to 10 years away. They, you know, Force Point believes that's coming, but they don't, you know, they don't think that's really happening in 2019. They don't think it's happening now. And so you've got a number of companies kind of lining up on either side of the AI thing, which is really interesting. Um, another one that I find, you know, inevitably you have people saying all the, you know, all the meaningful breaches, all the meaningful vulnerabilities will be in the cloud. And then others saying, no, all the meaningful vulnerabilities and breaches will be on mobile devices. Right. So it's kind of like, you know, you and I could say all of the above. Right. But I mean, right. the reality of it is these companies are, you know, obviously they have a vested interest, in especially if they're selling mobile security software or they're selling cloud software. You're going to hear more of that from them. Right. But there's a number of companies saying, oh, you know, all these, you know, so you see these lists of, you know, the 10 things that are going to happen to cloud breaches or the 10 things that are going to happen to mobile breaches. So you see that kind of tension between companies as well. Yeah, I find the artificial intelligence stuff really interesting, and I could see where that could happen, where they can have that disagreement, right? I'm not sure if we have true artificial intelligence right now in the security business out there in some of these tools that we're using. Um, you know, I, I don't think that it's really going to have a big effect on, on the market today, but let's talk about the, the 2020s. Let's look beyond even 2019, and, it, it, you know, are we going to keep hearing about new security predictions uh, going in there, and I guess what kind of security predictions, and I think you know, it's easy to say, well, there's going to be more hacks, right? Because, yes, of course, I think um, if I was a betting man, I would say, yeah, there's going to be more compromises. There's going to be more breaches and these mega breaches just keep coming at us. Um, it doesn't seem to, uh, you know, does, in the future, it doesn't seem it's going to stop anytime soon. But is, you know, is this trend growing about, you know, this predictive uh, uh, analysis? And then how are people putting this into their strategies, really? Yeah, great question. So, I, you know, the, the simple answer is yes, more. And, and, and I, I did a, um, a blog, uh, actually an article for CSO Magazine. You can go out there and read um, on, you know, uh, more, more, more security predictions or 2020 security predictions, um, specifically talking about a number of, of, of trends in this area. You know, we think 2020, what's the natural thing? Just, 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 that, just that year, 2020, you think um, – you know, your vision, you know, 2020 vision. 
Um, you know, my, my wife actually said this to me at the breakfast table the other day where, you know, it's like, hey, 2020, you know, we all talk, you know, everyone's 2020, clear vision, clear vision of the future. I think you're going to be seeing, and you already saw this at RSA, I predicted there'll be more security predictions. It's actually a growing market. And uh, so the answer is yes. And I think throughout this year, what's happening is this, is it not just in security, but technology and even wider other areas of life. Everyone wants to be, as you're looking at the next decade, the 20s, um, everyone wants to be the expert. Everyone wants to be the one who defines the new normal and the new world we're going to be in. And so to do that, to, to really be known as the thought leader in whatever the topic is, you know, AI or, or um, you know, big data or cybersecurity or, you know, autonomous vehicles, all the different areas, robotics, drones, all this different new technology we're seeing, people want to come out with, here's what's going to happen, and oh, by the way, here's the solution to the problem, you buy my product, right? So some of marketing is in that, but also I think people are really looking at the next 10 years, looking at the next, you know, five years for sure, in the 2020s, all this year, you know, there are basically new predictions coming out, um, and I think my, my main message to your listeners is, is really, you know, read those reports. I'm not saying you're going to agree with everything. The reality is you may not. But a lot of companies are spending a lot of time right now preparing for that. And if, by the way, if your company's not doing that, if you're not preparing, you know, you know strategies for the 2020s, um, maybe you can benefit by leading that charge in your company. So there's actually a, a tip there for you. Um, and look at, you know, where, where do you provide unique insights? What, what's your expertise area? And, and how can you add to that? So, I mean, I think you're seeing predictions in almost every major innovative area out there. So more and more, um, uh, you know, around autonomous vehicles, more and more about robotics, more and more about artificial intelligence. You know, we could go right down the list of all the different technologies. I also think business process reengineering and just redoing how people um, do their day-to-day -day business processes and how is that digital uh, transformation happening in your company. I think a lot of companies are digging even deeper and saying, you know, by 2020, you're going to start, you start listing, you know, the percentage likelihood that you're going to see certain outcomes. And they're talking about some, some fairly significant um, spending being done. One area, for example, I, I, I highlighted in the article was smart cities, smart everything, smart homes, smart cities, smart, you know, obviously cars, but automobiles, you know, autonomous vehicles. Um, really, you put the word smart in front of almost anything, George, and you're going to see a, a prediction right. around it. And so it, it's, it's just crazy, all the different predictions that people are having, how we're going to automate more and more things. Well, this is really cool stuff, man. It's a lot of fun to talk about. I'm going to transition into a commercial break right now, but we'll be right back soon, Dan. So just stick with me for a minute. If you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on LinkedIn by searching at Task Force 7 Radio and on Facebook, Twitter, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, as well as other business communications, please email me directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7, that's with the number 7, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together, I promise you. Task Force 7, get in the fight. 
We're going to take a pause for a few minutes, and then we'll be right back with the Chief Security Officer of Security Mentor, Mr. Dan Lorman. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The rules of enterprise security have changed. Your employees work remotely. Their devices access corporate data in the cloud. Phishing and other threats are intensifying. Traditional perimeter-based security is no longer enough to keep your enterprise safe. You need a new approach that protects your organization from the outside in. Lookout Post Perimeter Security enables protection at the endpoint and establishes continuous conditional access to data based on risk so you can protect your mobile workforce against phishing and other new world threats. Now you can secure the post-perimeter world. Visit lookout.com forward slash task force seven to learn more today. Recorded Future helps security teams make more confident decisions faster. Recorded Future's technology automates broad collection and analysis of cyber threat data and delivers the rich external context you need to understand alerts and emerging threats. With real-time threat intelligence from Recorded Future, security teams respond to threats 63% faster and find undetected threats 10 times quicker. Recorded Future integrates with the security products you already use making the intelligence you need accessible and relevant. Use it to improve your security operations, incident response, vulnerability management, and more. If you're facing challenges like the cybersecurity skills shortage or more alerts than your team can handle, consider Recorded Future Threat Intelligence. Learn more at recordedfuture.com forward slash task force seven. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest for this evening, the Chief Security Officer of Security Mentor, Mr. Dan Lorman. So, Dan, you know, I, as I mentioned in the opening in the first segment, you've done a lot of work in both the public and the private sector. And then I'd like to ask you, what's at the top of the minds for public sector CIOs around the U.S. for 2019? What are they thinking? Yeah, George, thanks for uh, having me. I, you know, it's really a, um, a list that I use every year from the National Association of State CIOs, NASIO, has a top 10 list they come out with um, for all the big state governments, but uh, also the similar lists that come out for federal governments, federal CIO council. Then there's another list um, that you know, state, uh, local, local governments uh, and cities come out with their own list. The interesting thing is that they almost are all identical. Um, and I'll just read through, for example, NASIO's top 10 for 2019 quickly. Um, and it's amazing how similar this is across all of them. The ranking may be, you know, one or two different, but they always start with security and risk management, number one. Cloud, cloud services, number two. Uh, in, in government, this may be slightly different than the private sector, but um, with government consolidation and uh, optimization of, of operations, digital government is fourth. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of, a lot of around budget, um, talk about wireless connectivity, Customer Relationship Management, or CRM. Uh, data number eight is Data Management Analytics. Number nine was Enterprise IT Governance. And 10, Mobility and Access Management. So really, you know, even in that last area, Mobility Access Management, obviously um, with Access Management, that certainly uh, cyber comes into that as well. But you know, interesting thing, I just a couple points. Security and risk management, uh, cybersecurity has been number one for, I think, the last four years in a row, maybe the last five, maybe one year it dropped off to like number three or four. And then before that, it was like several years before that. So, you know, security is clearly top of the mind. Cybersecurity, call it risk management, call it. Um, I know people use different words. They don't say cybersecurity, say risk management. But it's, um, you know, really in each of those different technology areas, cybersecurity and risk management are top of the list. So I heard you mention, I think it was number four, uh, maybe digital government or something like that. Maybe this, yes. you know, this digital transformation, I think cybersecurity injects a lot of yep. uh, influence into that space too. Do you think, do you think the public sector is going to be able to handle the, the security piece of the digital transformation that they're occurring? Because I know the private sector is struggling with it. Uh, they're behind. I, I generally say, you know, when you hear that Google and Facebook and, uh, you know, Microsoft and those, you know, companies are having issues uh, with in a variety of ways, you know, the government is as well because they're using a lot of the same 
technology and, and oftentimes government tends to be slightly behind. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I actually had an NSA background, so, you know, I'm not talking really here about, you know, NSA and three letter agencies in Washington and top secret kind of government. That's a whole nother world. I'm really talking about, you know, mainline federal government, maybe not clear, you know, top secret clearances or whatever, but also the state, local, uh, city, county governments around the country, they are struggling. And, and, and there's really, I mean, I tell people it's like a third, a third, a third. There's a half, there's, there's people doing pretty well. There's the, there's the people in the middle and there's a, a lot of people that have very, very little. There's like, you know, a huge gaping hole in cybersecurity. So um, absolutely it's a challenge and it's an ongoing challenge for, for the public sector. So I was doing some research and I saw that the National Association of State CIOs has this top 10 priority list. And I know that uh, you're familiar with this list. I want to get your thoughts on on what's there, and 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 you know whether you agree or disagree with the list. Yeah, you know, it's um, I, I I certainly think security needs to stay top because it, it plays in every one of them. Um, yeah, I mean, I do agree with the list. I mean, I think it's the right list. I think it's 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 absolutely the the one that um, uh, you know, as I mentioned a moment ago. Uh, really, you know, you could talk about cloud, you could talk about mobile, you could talk about autonomous vehicles, you could talk about Internet of Things. We didn't mention that in the first segment, but, um, you know, IoT is, is, is everywhere. You don't see much IoT on this list. Um, IoT can pretty much be, you know, some people think that's kind of the new Internet, right? Everything's IoT because even though it's, you know, you have, you know, toys, Internet of Things, you got, you know, smart home thermostats, you've got all these different devices that haven't traditionally been computerized, a lot of times you use your smartphone to actually control those devices. So, I mean, you could say, where's IoT on the list? Where's smart cities on the list? Where's smart government on the list? Um, but by this and large- getting, This is getting a little bit in the weeds, but you know, you, you, when you read the top 10 list off, right, I, I kind of thought to myself, and I, and, I, and I saw the list, I was wondering if it was prioritized or how much influence cybersecurity had in the prioritization of that list. In other words, you know, yeah, we had you know, access management you talked about was number 10. I mean, is, is, should it be number 10? <laughs> well, I mean, I think security, you know, they, they vote on this every year. And they, they come in, they put in, they, they put in topics, and they, they have their methodology they follow, and everyone gets to vote. It, it actually is a, you know, I know the process they use, and it is a pretty rigorous process. And, um, you know, Clearly, there's some aspects of some of these things that overlap. I mean, you know, they start off with security and risk management, number one, and then access management is under under identity and access management, number 10. Um, you could say, well, isn't that, isn't that under the wider discussion with, with security? Um, but you could say that about a lot of things, too. You, know, you could say that about smart cities. You know, don't you have to you have, you have, you know, parking meters um, in, in cities? You know, wouldn't you say that they need to be secure? I mean, I would hope they would be. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna pay money to, to get a parking spot in a parking ramp or a parking meter in a city, um, you want to make sure that's a secure transaction as well. So there's going to be some overlap. Uh, but but that being said, I think overall, um, you know, this is the right list, and, and and a big movement to the cloud. Number two is a big trend. I mean, more and more data in government. Yep. is moving in the clouds, in, into the cloud. Uh, more backup is in the cloud. More and more data is in the cloud. You know, and 10 years ago, it was like hybrid. People talked about, we're never going to move our legacy data to the cloud. Now, right. you know, 
it's going there, right? It's yeah. going to the cloud. And even when they're saying they're not, they're still doing it. Um, and you've got, you know, rogue cloud services, quote unquote, rogue, meaning um, shadow IT, business areas, and maybe the CIO doesn't even know about it, and people are sticking stuff in the cloud. So, you know, I think it's the right list. So, you know, CIOs are often uh, sort of at the top of the, the, the management chain, and a lot of CISOs report to CIOs, whether directly or indirectly, in a lot of organizations, especially large organizations that have multiple CIOs for different lines of business because everybody wants to be business aligned. And then, of course, there's usually an enterprise CIO or some type of COO that everyone sort of rolls up into. So how does this list, do you think, align to uh, you know, most CISOs strategies around, around the country? Do you think they agree with it? Are they in sync with what the CIOs are thinking? Yeah, I mean, I think by and large it is. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a big debate out, out there, George. I don't know if you've got a show in this or not, but, you know, should CISOs uh, or chief risk officers, should they report directly into, like, the governor? Yeah, it's, they, it's, it's always you know, a debate. Always a debate. It, it is a debate. <laughs> and, 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 I mean, I honestly, I, I've always kind of been in the camp. I mean, it would be nice, but, I mean, I think, you know, I've always, when I was a CSO for the state of Michigan, CISO, CTO, I always reported to the CIO, and you were part of the team. You weren't an audit function. And you were, you know, you were in those meetings when you were talking about the cloud strategy. You were in those meetings when you were talking about your mobile strategy. You were in those meetings when you were talking about digital government transformation. So, I mean, I actually do think they're in aligned. I think most CISOs in government do report up to the CIO or some states they call it a CTO, Chief Technology Officer, is the top job. Um, some states you're starting to see other, other roles um, like Chief Transformation Officer or Chief uh, Data Officer, CDO. But, yeah, I mean, by and large, most of the CISOs in government report up to the CIO, and they are in sync, and by definition, uh, they need to be or they're going to lose their job, right? <laughs> so they need to be, uh, you know, really uh, aligned with the transformation, the innovation that's happening in the CIO's office. So how do you think government technology leadership uh, uh, is different in the private sector than it is in the public sector? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I, th I think that, you know, for most um, most CISOs, you know, they would they would say um, first of all, people need to understand that just like there's you know we have small businesses, medium sized businesses, large businesses, and some of them are much more decentralized, some are more centralized. All government, not one size fits all. I mean, some governments are very very uh, decentralized. Uh, some are very centralized. In Michigan, we had a very centralized IT shop, 50,000 state employees. You know, we had 20 agencies and, you know, we had a, uh, you know, basically uh, one central security group that ran everything. Uh, that, I think, was more similar to the private sector in most cases, large uh, government uh, situations. In many cases, the CSO uh, in many governments is is, is not that. It, it, it's oftentimes uh, much more decentralized. Uh, it's more of an, uh, an advisory role. It's not necessarily to have line operational authority. Um, I think the simple answer, probably a lawyer answer, is it depends. But I would say it's, it's amazing that it's not one or the other, George, because I've seen people move back and forth between, especially a lot of the people I work with for a decade in Michigan. You know, I was actually 17 years in Michigan government and uh, stories a lot of people I've worked with in the White House, Department of Homeland Security, a lot of people I've worked with in Washington that work for the Department of Energy, they're now the same CISOs that are working for big banks 
They're working for major insurance companies. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people start their career, a lot of CISOs uh, start their career in government and then move to the private sector. I'm seeing that really across the board in defense, um, in many, many federal agencies, a lot of the top state CISOs end up moving into the private sector. And I've seen some people move back as well. So um, I don't think it has to be an all or nothing. Um, I think by and large in the private sector, you have bigger budgets. By and large, you, you, you probably have uh, more authority, more ability to get stuff done quicker. In the, in the public sector, in the in government, you may have to, you know, uh, have longer lead times to get equipment in. There's more legacy equipment. They tend to work a little slower. It tends to be difficult. But again, that's not always the case. I know some government people, government CSOs, that are very good at getting stuff done very quickly, actually better than some of the private sector people. So I think it's, it's not only one or the other. It, it tends to be a range in both. Uh, but by and large, I think a lot of uh, private sector CSOs make more money and they tend to, uh, a lot of them, uh, you know, come from government and actually have that government background. When is the government going to get smart and start paying these people so they can retain them? I mean, one of the biggest things, one of the biggest criticisms about the United States government in terms of cybersecurity is the, 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 the defense in depth posture as a whole is, is weak. And uh, we've even seen re recent articles written out about our military, how the, the offensive posture is phenomenal, but the defensive posture, not so much. But in the government, um, I kind of feel like they let so much talent go. I mean, I, I, I've seen so many people leave the Secret Service that were so highly trained. If you took all the people that left the Electronic Crime Special Agent Program from the Secret Service and put them in the room, in, a sa in the same room, I, it would be a pretty impressive group. They hold very senior positions. They're very, very talented people, and uh, they're very well accomplished. Now, I can just imagine if all those people still worked for the Secret Service. I mean, the Secret Service puts a, a, a ton of money uh, into into this, and I'll just use them as an example because I'm a, I'm a former Secret Service agent. I don't think that you can pay you know, the agents the same. You cannot pay them the same and expect them to stay. At some point, it just becomes uh, an, an easy decision, right? I mean, what, what are your thoughts? No, I agree. I think you're absolutely right. The government does not pay the, the private sector. And, and I, I did a whole blog just on this topic. You know, when you start adding in stock options, you start, it's not just pay. I mean, I've seen people get, you know, literally. It's quality of life. It's everything, right? It, it is. And it, it can be, I've seen people get, you know, double their, double their pay by going to the private sector, 30, 40% more. Different studies say different things in different parts of the country. And, you know, you can make, you know, they say numbers don't lie, you know, figures don't lie, but liars figure. You can, you can, you can make, make the numbers say whatever you want, but the bottom line is private sector does pay a lot more. And you're right, they do not, the government cannot keep up um, with the private sector. You have to have other things that are attracting people. I would just say to your listeners, government is a great place to start a career, for, you know, um, or to get some experience, maybe your mid-level security guy, maybe take a, a government cyber job and become a CISO and then make your jump to the private sector. So I totally agree with you, George. FBI, I've, I know dozens of people, fantastic security, cybersecurity people that have jumped from, you know, from FBI to the private sector, other three-letter agencies. Um, it's amazing how many people were in government that are now leading. You know, we had a team 10 years ago. I look at our team that we had in Michigan. We had a rock star team. 
there's 10 people now that are senior executives, CISOs, you know, vice presidents, senior executives in, in global corporations making hundreds of thousands of dollars, three, four times what they were making in state government that were on our team. I mean, we, you know, we were fantastic. And they have a good team now, but we lost a lot of great people. I don't know how realistic it is to think you can you can pay you can keep up with the private sector pay, especially if you add in the stock, if you add in the other perks you get in the private sector. But I, I, I tell people it's a great place to get a, you know get some get your you know legs under you, really get some experience, really learn and train, and uh, and I don't think it has to be one or the other. It could be both. You know, have a time in government, go back in the private sector. So I actually agree. I think you know starting out in the uh, in, in the public sector gives some people an advantage when they move to the private sector or other people who've been in the private sector only uh, for the, most of their careers. So you've spent an enormous amount of time in, in the public sector. I mean, did you do that by design or did you just, did you get caught up in the work or you were just having such a good time doing it? Or, um, you know, what was it that made you stay there uh, you know, a long period of time? And what did you really get out of it that you think that you transferred and gave you that advantage that I just talked about when you went to the private sector? Yeah, no, thank you. I, I did. I was at NSA. I was in England with Lockheed and Mantech working on, uh, you know, DOD contracts and then 17 years in Michigan government overall. I loved my work. I loved my job. You know, cyber wasn't sexy back in those days. Um, right. you know, it, it, it really wasn't. And, and, it, and it doesn't pay like it does now. Um, I really enjoyed my work. I like I like the work life balance that I had in government. Um, I like the fact that you know I got opportunities to do things and, and meet people and 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 I was very blessed because you know the years I was CISO we were we had a great team. Like I said, I had a rock star team, and I was invited to speak all over the world, South Africa, Europe, all over the United States. I mean, we had a we had a program that people were looking at all over the world. I'm talking, you know, now. You know, I was CSO, CISO from 2002 to 2009 in those years. And then a CSO again from 11 to, uh, 2011 to 2014. So we had a great team and I just enjoy, I love the people. I loved um, the opportunity of working with three different governors, Democratic and Republican. Got a chance to work with the White House, Department of Homeland Security. Got a chance to work with FBI and Infraguard. You know, it just, I really, it was a great career. Um, you know, it, it all translates now because it's amazing how many of the people I work with are now in the private sector leading private yeah. sector corporations all over the world. Yeah, so. that's what I just said before, right? It's amazing. If you take all these people that you know from the government and you put them all in the same room that are now in the private sector, it's amazing the talent that the government actually had and yeah. groomed yeah. Right, and spent millions of dollars, you know, yeah. training. Um, and so it, at some point when you see that, it has to – it has to, you know, raise the eyebrows of some lawmakers, no? I mean, at some point, someone's got to say, hey, look, you know, we're, we're spinning our wheels here. We're training these people. They're becoming the best in the world. And then they're going to the private sector and getting paid three times more. You know, to your point, some of the experiences that you get in the public sector are amazing. Amazing. Some of the people that you meet, the yep. information that you have access to. Um, it's just amazing. So, I mean, for you... I think the transition was pretty easy. I, I don't want to be, I don't want to assume, right? But I, I found the transition pretty easy myself. I actually was, um, I was actually a bond broker on Wall Street before I went into the, the public sector. So it's kind of, I worked in the private sector first then went to the public sector and came back. Um, but, you know, I think when I think about this, like some, some of these guys, they just, they have a real big problem like doing this. I've seen some guys just fall flat on their face. I mean, they, don't, they have no idea 
how to interact in a in a private uh, uh, world, right? In 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 a Fortune 500 company, right? I mean, some guys, you know, they don't understand that uh, this is Spark Avenue, it's not Afghanistan, and so they, you know, they don't <laughs> they don't they're not able to function properly, and they and they you know they say things, and it just it did not really conducive with the culture of that company. Have you found that? What was your transition like? Did you have any issues, and have you have you seen others have problems? I have seen others have problems. I have not. I mean, I've been very blessed. You know, I love my job. Um, there's so many stories I could tell you that you know. I think a lot of it comes down to individual, you know, your skill set and and preparing before you you know do it. Relationships that you have with people. Um, I I you know I network with CISOs in the public private sector my whole career before I even left. So a lot of those relationships were already in place, and it's, it's just so important to have, you know, um, multiple different skill sets that you can use that are transferable. I mean, I, for example, in my case, I was already blogging while I was in government. I was already speaking at conferences while I was in government. So I am kind of the voice piece in, to a large extent for security mentor now. And I speak at conferences around the world. My blog's numbers double every year. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's been it's actually, and I left government five years ago, and we're getting a lot more attention today uh, with Security Mentor, my company, the company I work with, and, and also awareness training, but also just my blogging and writing and speaking is all getting a lot more attention. So it, it has been a good transition for me. I, I, my, my, my advice to people who are thinking about that is, you know, look at what your unique skill set is, what, what, you know, what's the secret sauce It really makes you different what do you love doing what are you passionate about when you come to work in the morning and really you know um utilize those things you know and and, and you really got to be an enabler too you can't be a security guy who's always just saying no all the time can't yeah, get yeah. that done you got to be somebody who can bring yeah. solutions and not just problems um, right it's got to be innovative right and you, you have to really be business aligned Yep. You have to understand the bottom line. You have to speak the language of the business. I see this all the time. These guys, these engineers, a lot of these guys come out and they all they do is talk bits and bites. And they lose, they lose the LOB guys. You know, the guys that are in the sectors, they just lose them. And, uh, you know, it ends up being sort of a disconnect, I think, and a lot of miscommunication. But you were, the, you were actually, uh, you know, the Michigan CISA. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, you got to get any cool stories for us from that. I mean, that's oh, yeah, I, I cool stuff, right? Along those same lines, George, I'll tell you a quick story. I mean, I almost got fired back in 2004 because I, I, I was the NSA guy. I was the guy who, you know, um, it, it was it, everything was insecure. Uh, the hot topic at the time was Wi-Fi. You know, everyone was like, we have Wi-Fi everywhere now, right? You go into a hotel, you go into airports, you go into McDonald's, you got a Wi-Fi. Well, I was, you know, I was um, totally against Wi-Fi. And we're putting it in all the conference rooms in government or that was a project. <laughs> And I'm like, we can't do this, not secure. And the big thing at the time, you know, was war driving. So everyone was going around war driving yeah. and um, yep. just going in and, and getting access to, you know, any building, any network. And I, I so um, my, my, my CIO, my boss, Terry Takai, who later went on to become CIO in California and CIO for the Department of Defense. Terry is a great, great person, great leader. Um, she was the boss. And she said, Dan, I want you to put together a plan for Wi-Fi in all of our government conference rooms. And then obviously eventually it went everywhere, you know, years later. But uh, I'm like, and I came into this, this, this CIO meeting and I handed out these sheets of paper. We got to that agenda item and I said, we're going to cancel this project. And, and I said, and Edward's like, why? And I'm like, well, it's not secure. And I had reports from NSA, DIA, CIA, you know, I, you know, this, this is not secure technology. We can't do this. 
and I, I had done my homework. I knew my stuff. But Terry says, this is hilarious. I, mean, I, I laugh now. He wasn't laughing at the time. I almost got fired over it. Terry says, everybody leave the room but Dan. Right? So they all, like, run out of the room. I've never seen a government conference room empty so fast in my life, George. Uh, <laughs> everybody, you know, they're all there. I'm just sitting there with Terry guy. And she says, if that's your answer, you can't be the CISO. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? I said, Terry, you don't understand. I said, Dan, listen. I know you know your stuff. I know you're NSA. I know you got a master's degree from Johns Hopkins. You know, you, you know, nobody questions your technical skills and your ability and your articulation. Nobody questions any of that. But I've been to Dow, Ford, Chrysler, and GM, and they all have Wi-Fi in their conference rooms. What do they know that you don't know? Hmm. And, and, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> she said, I'm giving you one week. I want a plan, or you give me your resignation. And, and I was like, whoa, I mean, I mean, the thing was, I mean, obviously I kept my job. A week later, we had a plan. We talked to Dow Ford Chrysler GM. We put Wi-Fi in our conference rooms. We ended up winning the award for top Wi-Fi in the country for all government, um, in all, you know, state, local, federal. Um, you know, we, we ended up winning tons of awards. But it was a, that was a real watershed moment for me because for me, it was like, how do you enable and not just disable? I mean, any security pro can go in and say, no, 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 no. What's the question? The answer is no. That's fine, but that's not going to, you know, I, I had, it was hard for me to learn this. And I, I kind of knew this before I get into the private sector. If the business fails, you won't need any security because there's no company. So, you know, you've got you've to bring proactive solutions. You've got to bring answers. doesn't mean you just cave in and just, you know, do whatever people want. You need to give, you know, I, I tell people gold, silver, bronze. Give people a range of options. You know, or you think about flying in a plane. You want to fly coach, economy? Do you want to fly business class or first class? Hopefully they're all going to get you there safely, but you're going to have a very different experience. I mean, the bottom line is you got to have different options. And I think I learned that in government. You've got to be an enabler as a CISO. You can't just be Dr. No who says no to every question. Because if you are, you're not going to be, you're not going to be employed very long. Um, CIOs want answers, not just more problems. So you're a passionate guy, just like me. And there's nothing like having a sense of purpose when you go to work. We've been talking about it almost this whole segment in terms of, hey, I was doing this a long time because I just love what I do. I love what I do. I love the people I'm around. I love the atmosphere. I love that I'm always learning and innovating. And, and so what, what's the best thing that you like about your current job today? What I love about my job is that I can, um, I'm given the tools and I'm given the um, mandate to really uh, articulate the vision and be passionate about cybersecurity uh, in government. I mean, I, I run our public sector practice for security mentor and I, 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 that comes across in multiple channels. So like, as I mentioned, I'm on your radio show, right? I'm enjoying one of the best radio show around. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on, I'm on your, uh, being able to talk about this, uh, in, in, in government and private sector conferences around the country, blogging, writing, speaking. Um, I love doing that. I love, I love telling people, um, how they can improve, their current situation. Uh, you know, interesting thing, George, is that I, I work mainly with non-technical people. So our awareness training, I'm not going to do a plug for our company here, but you know, it's, how, it's, it's, it's about the end user, the average person. Everyone's got a smartphone. Everyone uses the cloud. Everybody uses Gmail or Yahoo or whatever. You know, how can they protect themselves from ransomware? How can they take steps? And so, you know, really helping the masses, not just the, you know, the, the geeks, the security experts, 
but really working with you know everyone in America really who has a smartphone and even kids who have tablets at home. How do you protect yourself? And doing that in an engaging way, we have, we have gamified content, we have interactive content for awareness training. I won't go into the company uh, sales pitch, but I mean, I love that. And I love the idea that every person, your individual actions, whether you're a security expert or not, and you're listening to this, whether you're just at home with your family, whether you're you know retired and you know in your 70s, you know you can take steps to protect yourself online. And you can dramatically affect, I'm not saying you can be perfect, but you can dramatically affect your protection and your ability to be safe online. And, and, and you know, I'm passionate about that. I love it. I love that I help people at our church. I help people in Boy Scouts. I help InfraGuard. And then I also help cyber geeks and technology pros. Um, I, that's what I love. I love doing it. All right, folks. We got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away. We'll be right back with the Chief Security Officer of Security Mentor, Mr. Dan Lorman. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Recorded Future helps security teams make more confident decisions faster. Recorded Future's technology automates broad collection and analysis of cyber threat data and delivers the rich external context you need to understand alerts and emerging threats. With real-time threat intelligence from Recorded Future, security teams respond to threats 63% faster and find undetected threats 10 times quicker. Recorded Future integrates with the security products you already use, making the intelligence you need accessible and relevant. Use it to improve your security operations, incident response, vulnerability management, and more. If you're facing challenges like the cybersecurity skills shortage or more alerts than your team can handle, consider Recorded Future Threat Intelligence. Learn more at recordedfuture.com forward slash task force seven. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology 
to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover life cycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm back with our special guest for this evening, the Chief Security Officer of Security Mentor, Mr. Dan Lorman. So, Dan, I can't let you go without asking you about the cyber talent shortage. How bad is it? It's bad, George. <laughs> it's, re- it's really bad. And, I, you know, it's, it's, it's everywhere. It's global. It's U.S. It's almost in every part. It's the biggest problem, right? I think it is. It is. Absolutely. No question. I think so. Look, when I, and I, when I hear these people talking about the hundreds of thousands of jobs that are that are open around the country. I mean, if you don't have the people to fill the positions, you, no matter what you do, the technology, the process, the strategy, it doesn't mean anything, yeah. right? You have to have the talent to execute, and I think it's the biggest problem. But so when I look at, you know, the cybersecurity domains, I like to think about them right, in terms of maybe there's about a dozen domains in cybersecurity, uh, give or take, uh, depending on how you want to map it out. But when I look at that, what are the hardest areas to fill in your, in your opinion? Sure. So... Before I get into the technical things, I would just say, number one, what I hear again and again and again is everybody wants people with experience, and that means different things to different people. So um, I've even seen people who have degrees or they have, you know, on paper, they've got some certification or something, and they can't get a job because they don't have experience. And so, you know, more and more people, you know, companies want to hire somebody who's done it before. Now, occasionally you'll see you know, um, you know, the, the big three, you know, the accountants, you know, the, the Accentures and Deloitte's, the, you know, they'll bring in people as interns or, you know, out of, you know, right, right in out of college, or they'll bring people in, you know, a lot of, even, even the three letter agencies in Washington, they bring people in as students and you see that more and more and more. And I would tell people right out of the gate, get experience. Even as you're a student, as you're going through, get hired as a high school student, get hired as a college student. Get hands-on experience through it. I think that cuts across everything. The number one thing that's hardest to fill is people who have experience. Somebody, somebody can say, I've done this before, and it's not like I've read about it in a book and, or I passed a test. So that aside, I think you know, you're seeing a lot of people in the threat intelligence space, uh, people who can work in a security operations center, people who can do secure coding. So that's a broad field, right? What does that mean? You know, a lot of people are programmers, but they really don't know how to really think about testing the whole, you know, life cycle process of writing secure code. Um, but, you know, I'm seeing, I'm seeing uh, challenges in, in really across the board, um, you know, specifically people who have database security experience, people who have uh, experience in network security, 
um, network architecture, you know, knowing how to uh, secure cloud configurations. So even when people say, you know, yeah, I'm hosting it with Google in the cloud, or I'm hosting it with, you know, VMware, or I'm hosting it with, you know, fill in the blank company, you have to have the ability to, 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 to configure that, to securely be able to make sure that, yeah, the tools are there, but as you said, people process technology. Are you putting it all together from, for an end-to-end -end secure solution? As a, there's a big shortage of people who are security architects. And so, you know, I, I see a lot of uh, individuals, um, you know, who are, you know, honestly, which is sad, but, you know, they're, they're, they're modifying their resume, they're changing history, they maybe were doing other things 10 years ago, but now it says they were cyber experts, which they weren't. So you've got a lot of that going on as well, with people, you know, just literally making stuff up and putting it on their resumes. So it becomes hard, and I think a lot of hiring managers are saying, do I really believe these people have these skill sets? And, and then proving that, I think is difficult. Do you think in some respects when people go for these jobs, managers are just being too meticulous with exactly the, the exact experience they want, the exact training and skills that they want? I mean, a lot of this can be learned, right? People can learn to do different jobs. I find in the marketplace when I, when I see managers uh, looking at candidates uh, that, that have worked for me, they, they basically are like, look, if, if they, these people can't speak my language and know exactly what they're doing, they want, it seems to me like they just want someone to come in and make their life as easy as possible. I, I, I think that's kind of a problem. I mean, I just heard Jimmy Diamond talking about uh, how we need to really rethink the way we're hiring people in this country. And, and, and you know, it, it's not exactly, hey, look, if you don't have th this exact experience, then you can't get this job. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that that's true. I kind of, I, I, I never, I've always had a problem with it. What, what is your, what is your thoughts on that? No, I totally agree with that. It, it, you know, it, you can, you can fall off the horse on either side in my mind. Um, I, I totally agree with you, George. I see that a lot of people, they want specific, they want kind of a, a mirror image of themselves or themselves five years ago or 10 years ago. Um, they're looking very specifically. I think, I think you can really, um, have a challenge there. I think people with a great attitude, with a great work ethic, with the ability to learn, they're teachable, and they have some technical prowess, um, can be great employees. And we saw that again and again and again. Um, I'll tell you a quick story on that real quick. I mean, I, I, I remember we had a guy um, back, back when I was Michigan CISO. Um, I don't think you mind me saying this. I've written this story in, in public, so it's, it's out there. Mike Monticello was the guy's name. And actually, you know, he came to us as a student at Michigan State with information, uh, IFSM major, I didn't want to hire students at the time. This was, this was, you know, 14 years ago. I didn't want to hire students. And I'm like, no, we're not hiring students. And he, the guy just kept coming back. He was persistent. He kept coming back. He kept coming back. Finally, my secretary, my executive assistant said, Dan, just talk to this guy for five minutes. He just will not say, take no for an answer. He wants to get into cybersecurity. So I said to him, okay, I, you know, I will. Um, Bring them in for five minutes. I said, no, I'm not hiring students. I don't want you. He said, I work for free. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I work for free. I said, you'll do anything we want. He said, and I said, you know, not anything, but yeah, I mean, I'll sweep. I'll, I'll make the coffee, whatever you need. I want to learn cybersecurity. The guy was a rock star. 90 days later, we gave him a student job. A, a year later, he's working for us as an employee in state government. Three years later, he's one of our best guys. And now he's making big, big, big bucks. He's worked for three different cyber companies, you know, more than a decade later. And he's a global rock star. I mean, he's all over the place and he's, you know, making big bucks and he's a cyber expert. So he had that passion. He had that drive. He was teachable. He, he really didn't have on paper what we needed for a security analyst in our, right. in our, in right. our sock, but he was a great guy. 
And that's a great example of what I think the, the kind of thinking that we need to implement. And it's going to be difficult. I mean, I don't know how you implement that across an entire industry to get all these managers to think differently. And it's not that you have to go hire people that don't have the, you know, any experience of what you're looking for. But I think they have to be a lot more flexible. And I think one of the reasons why we're not moving in some of these jobs, right, is because, oh, yeah, I just got 100 candidates, but, you know, I'm in, I didn't hire anybody. Um, well, <laughs> you know, at some point, you got you to gotta help people transition, right? You got to help people pivot in their careers. These are very intelligent people out there. And, and, and it just because they don't have that experience, that exact experience you're looking for, doesn't mean they can't be taught. But, you know, and, and so in that sense, with all these, you know, jobs open, uh, how do you think that's impacting organizations? I mean, how do you think it's impacting their ability to defend themselves against the, the, the threat that is constantly changing and becoming more complex by the day? Yeah, George, great, great question. I, th I think one of the ways it's, it's in a, a little bit of a surprise, I think there's some, some obvious ways that it's, it's, it's creating holes. There's a lot of churn. There's a lot of turnover. They fill three people, but they th fill three slots, but they still have three more people leave. So there's a lot of, you know, people not you know, staying in, in, in organizations. So you got a lot of, of, of rotating, you know, um, you know, in and out of, 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 of the roles. But I think one of the things is a lot of companies are outsourcing cybersecurity now. They're just bringing in other companies to run it for them. So one of the surprising needs out there we didn't mention a minute ago is people who can manage contractors, who can manage vendors, who can manage partners, whatever you want to call them. You know, it's outsourcing is a bad word, that O word in government, right? Especially if it's offshore outsourcing. That's, you know, oh, oh, that's really bad. Um, but no, I mean, it, the, the ability to manage and, and know what these people are doing because what, what a, a lot of private sector cyber companies will do is they'll bring in the A team and then they'll move it to the B team. And then before you know it, six months later, you got the C team in there, right? So they get the business with the A team and then they move on to a different job. And so the companies have, you know, they think they're buying X, but they're really getting Z. They're getting a different, they're getting some level of service but that's not what they think they're getting. So the ability to even have people who can manage vendors, uh, contract management, that's going to be a growing field. I mean, if, if you're not a, a programming or cyber expert out there, but you've got some program skills to be able to, to monitor and have metrics and manage vendor contracts, we need more of you as well because, unfortunately, that's going to be – there's a lot of holes in that space as well. But I think more and more companies, are, are, are especially in government, are outsourcing the cyber work. So what can these people do to get a cybersecurity job? I mean, how can they go in there when they have a little bit of a closed-minded panel interviewing them how can they, you know, break through those barriers? And, 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 you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening out there that, that want to get into the cybersecurity space, just like that, that individual that you spoke about before is that I could, I want, I'll do anything. I'll do anything that you want me to do to get into this space and made the most of the opportunity. But, you know, how hard is it and what do they need to do? Yeah, I think, you know, you got to take an honest first self-assessment of, you know, where your skills are at, where they're, where they're not. And, you know, look at, look at the kind of roles, you know, go out monster.com, but there's, there's tons and tons of, Indeed, there's, there's tons and tons of jobs out there. Know, you know, where, where, you know, what target the right level. Some of you have degrees, some of you don't. Some of you want to cross train, move over from another field. Um, if you don't have any background or education or skills, I think it's going to be difficult. So you need to, you know, have an honest assessment of where you're at versus where you want to be, um, and and what what are the specific, um, you know, what are the specific uh, gaps you have in that. I think I mentioned earlier experience, you know, start as a student, um, get, you know, practical experience early. The earlier you can get experience and hands-on training, the better. 
And you also find out whether you really like it. And, you know, cybersecurity, there's a lot of different roles. You know, there's a lot of different positions that are very, very different. Some people like to, you know, kind of be behind the partition and nobody ever see them. Other people like to be out front and be, you know, leading the charge. Um, other, some people are leaders, some people are followers. You kind of know what, what role you're going for. I think certifications can help. You know, talk about CISSP, CISM, certified uh, CISO, Chief Information Security Office, certified CISO. These are all good roles. You know, having certifications can, can certainly help. Um, having a degree will certainly help. I think it really depends on the situation. Um, but I would, you know, I would certainly also, one other tip I would give people is, is, is network in the industry. There are so many conferences, um, so many organizations like ISSA, um, InfraGuard, I-N-F-R-A-G-A-R-D, InfraGuard um, is, is a great organization to be a part of. You can network with people, get to know people in the companies you work with. Talk to security pros in the company you work with now. Um, learn about their jobs. Go do lunch. Um, if you have a lot of business knowledge and business skills and process skills, we need you over in the security side of the house. So, you know, those skill sets can really help improve the security team. So kind of take an honest look at where you're at now, see where the holes are, network like crazy, and then fill those holes with the right training, the right certifications, and go for it. I mean, there are a lot of jobs out there and there's a lot of opportunity. Dan, we're running out of time, so it's getting tight. You got anything else you want to go over before we, before we break? No, I just really appreciate the opportunity. I, I uh, really um, wish you all the best in the show. It's, it, it's, a, it's a great chance to talk to you, George. So uh, thanks so much for the time. Thanks for coming on, man. I want to have you back often. All right? Thanks. Appreciate it. All right, folks. It's time to roll. Before we go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 